welcome to Left Jest, where we line fascists and great content against the wall. Hello, it's <laughs> Rog of Meta. I'm Alex Patak. Uh, we're here for another week of uh, laughs and looks into the machinery of DC. Sure, <laughs> Anders is still not here. Yeah, if you're a uh, regular, uh, you know that our other co-host Anders Lee is on a grand world tour uh, going to Chicago to meet communists and then going to Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Film Festival where he will be doing stand-up every day for an hour at a bar at noon and trying to impress the Scottish. It sounds like a sentence. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like punishment for He's something. He's going to come back, though. He I've committed been... a comedy crime. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sentence you to 30 days uh <laughs> Difficult shows in front of the Scotch. <laughs> uh, that is our uh, guest for today, David Twighty, one of our guests at least. Happy to be here. Um, Wait, is there another one coming? Yeah, yeah. well, you n- listen up, David. <laughs> um, we have Stay an, tuned. We have an interview later with Jazz Hooks of the DSA talking about the DSA convention this weekend and talking about the Afro-Socialist Caucus proposal, which got... Uh, slammed on a different podcast, and uh, we're beefing it out here on Left Jazz. Stay tuned. But enough of that. Back for to now. Anders. <laughs> yeah, back to Anders, who we're all very worried about. I want to talk about your podcast beefs. Oh, no, it's not our beef. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are we worried about Anders? Anders, are you okay? I think he's going to come back like two or three times as strong, not only comedically, but physically. From having to fight off all those brogue having women. Are you? What are your takes on this? Uh, I I think it'll be about the same. What a, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, what a great interviewing tactic. What are your takes on this? <laughs> a second opinion. <laughs> huh, huh. Um. Anyway, I think it might make sense if we actually start with the interview and then. Uh, come back to david after so listen up uh we're gonna talk with jazz hooks thanks okay that was weird anyway oh it's like working with dogs all right we're here we're <laughs> interviewing jazz hooks of the dsa um bronx branch thanks for coming to the apartment oh thanks for having me i appreciate it so Today we wanted to talk about um, the DSA convention and specifically a uh, proposal that's been causing an internet buzz. And by that, of course, I mean the Afro-Socialist Caucus. Um, Jazz was one of the... uh, Were you a writer of the caucus? Yes, I was. Okay. I was going to say creator, but that feels more like if it was a game or a robot. (laughs) Politics is not a game. It could be soon. (laughs) But anyway, um, the uh, proposal was discussed recently on uh, the Dead Pundit Society podcast, which has fantastic guests uh, like Adolph Reed Jr., a staple of... American leftism. Cool guy. Come on the show. Uh, But they were very critical of the proposal and in a lot of ways maybe um, misread it. So I guess since we have you here in the apartment, uh, let's just start from scratch. What is the proposal? 
The proposal for an Afro-Socialist and Socialist of Color caucus is to create an autonomous caucus within DSA to advocate for the views and rights of people of color. And we felt like, you know, we've all been to the DSA meetings. You've seen them there have a long way to go before the racial demographics reflect the working class. And I have this is a way of addressing that. yeah, this is our way of working towards addressing that. Okay, I'm totally on board so far. Uh, I, I'll admit, before I listened to the podcast, I'd kind of only seen this in glances online. I hadn't really looked into it. Why do you think a caucus specifically is important to work in? I know the convention's coming up this weekend, and um, we're kind of laying the foundation for how the new group is going to work right now. Why do you think an Afro-Socialist caucus is the move for right now? Well, basically, it's because, like, a lot of people argue, like, um, as they did on that podcast, that we should just continue doing the work and building relationships with that community, which is absolutely an important step. But that alone hasn't translated into uh, more represent more representation of people of color and other low income people in DSA meetings. So if it's hasn't translated yet, we have to try something new. So this is our way of doing that. So it's it's a it's a matter of optics and representation. It's not just about the optics. It's like that's something that a criticism that we got on the um, podcast as well. Like we genuinely want to have the higher institutional power that we feel like the working groups alone haven't given us yet. Like in terms of like getting more political education that represents people of color and like specifically like the black radical tradition and like our involvement in seeing racism as more than just quote unquote identity politics or as an issue of black versus white but as a class struggle and something that is dependent on being exploited by this small group of people who benefit from racism for sure and i do feel like they kind of wrote you off in a way on the podcast and they were talking about it. they described the whole measure as performative um which seems cynical it's it is cynical it and it's it was like a gateway to them kind of going off on their own points on why we need to work harder and in incorporating trade unions or whatever but i know if i was a person of color looking at thinking about joining dsa and i didn't know a lot about it just from uh, the picture of the paid protest comedy show so far uh you're seeing mostly white faces uh I'm not sure if that would make me feel like, oh, this is definitely for me. I feel like this is my group. Do you, do you feel that having a caucus in a centralized structure is the direction that um, you guys specifically see power emerging in the group? Well, we don't really want it to be centralized. We haven't like um, finished the founding document yet because we're still working on it and we're waiting to see if it gets passed. But we plan to open it up to anyone who wishes to collaborate on it as long as you're a dues-paying DSA member when we want you to be a part of our vision and shaping it, and we want it to be as open and transparent as possible. I'm done with that. That's good. Yeah, I'm for that. It would be weird if I wasn't. Yeah. I just came out on this podcast anti-that. But uh, what was the broader sentiment among uh, DSA members? that They've been receptive to it? What are their opinions about it? Um, well, from what I've seen, we've gotten a pretty good... Uh, level of support from it we have I think at least seven or eight hundred signatures and we had a good amount of delegates we had specifically like I think it was about 20% of the people who signed were people of color interested in the caucus so 
think that's a pretty good representative sample of how the organization feels about it and how people of color within the organization are asking for this and as more than just a representational thing, but something for building our power and making sure that DSA will be a bigger movement going forward. It's doing well online. There's a lot of RTs in the pudding. If uh, you're catching my drift there, that common phrase we all use. But um, uh, again, definitely so far totally convinced for a caucus. I feel like purposely empowering black voices in what is so far a majority of um, middle upper class white people group um, shows the direction we're looking towards taking DSA towards making it more of a working class, widely representative group. You know, it's our it's our organization. It should be for everybody, and it should represent everybody's uh, struggles. But one thing they kept touching back onto in the podcast is um, the history of the American left, and specifically like the Black Panthers and the Black Left. And it seemed like they were trying to color you guys as black nationalists. Yeah, I didn't really understand that because, like... I didn't either. <laughs> if I was a black nationalist and, like, I really believed, like, you know, black separatism and black capitalism is the solution, why would I join DSA to begin with? Yeah. doesn't make much sense to me, but we are definitely not black nationalists nor black liberals, which is something else they brought up. Like, they brought up, as you said, the history of the black American left and how the black elite class was formed around the same time as the black power movement mm -hmm. and they consolidated power and became sort of a black managerial class that you know like we're not advocating for a more diverse ruling class we want power to the exploited people under capitalism we are not black nationalists we are black people who are members of DSA we are black socialists mm -hmm. well I think because uh Liberalism, centrist liberalism, especially, uh, has uh, such a history of those performative gestures, and in, including minorities, that any sort of gesture from the left in that realm is seen as uh, what performative, yeah, uh, yeah, which, yeah. which is so short-sighted to me. Uh, and it seems like it's just built upon years of cynicism. What was the thing a few months ago? Uh, oh, oh, the the Pepsi ad. With one of the Jenners, with the the protests. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, that was really bad. <laughs> it was just uh, the 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 cops were drinking Pepsi and the protesters were drinking <laughs> Pepsi, and we were all uh, in a delicious class struggle together. Um, the the and Pepsi only Pepsi can save us. Yeah. Yeah, the, that's the real solution. Like, um, not black nationalism. It's buying Pepsi. Yes, yeah. and we've never um, gone against that on this show. That is definitely the inroads to a communist future. But we'd um, love a gift card <laughs> from Pepsi. Pepsi, come on the show. Uh, <laughs> people who were defending the ad were saying, like, you know, Pepsi has a black CEO. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Like a bunch of the be, executives are people of color. Yeah. Like you were supposed to feel better about that, and it was like, well, that's kind of the the point. Is if you are in the ruling class, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, sure, these sorts of positions have been exploited by capitalists, but that doesn't mean we should just rule them out entirely, which is something I've noticed, a trend I've noticed among some leftists, and uh, yeah, I don't know, it irks me a lot. It's reductionist, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely, and like it's absolutely an important note to make that phenomenon of, you know, the black elite, black managerial class, and that said, like, 
that's not what we're advocating for again. <laughs> like, as we said in the proposal, capitalism is what perpetuates racism, and we understand that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Furthermore, like there are like some prominent black leftists who, you know, agree with like this sort of approach, like to a degree, like maybe not explicitly in the caucus forum, but like in speaking to identity-based issues, like most prominent example is Black Lives Matter, which they were a bit dismissive of, but Black Lives Matter, to me personally and to a lot of black people on the left, that's like our entry into a more systemic view of not only racism, but the class relations that perpetuate racism. Sure. I I know that's definitely how I see it. Black Lives Matter has such a like incredible like optics rainbow where if you're on the right it is a terrorist organization and if you're on the <laughs> far left it is a corporation and uh a lot of liberals see it as like the be all end all of the revolution it's it is everything you want it to be it's a very exciting place um one, one of the other things they were critical of i think i did think even though adolf Reed jr and the host of the podcast did seem like they were maybe a bit intentionally misreading your proposal that they might have had some interesting criticisms like i at one point reed said that he's not a fan of the uh approach towards caucuses in general um did you think that was maybe a valid concern or oh yeah definitely like um reed comes from you know like during the 60s and 70s like seeing all of these left movements fractured and split into a million like bickering people and we want to have this caucus like in a way to avoid that because all this stuff is happening informally like they also like a point that they brought up on the podcast like the alternative power basis that's what they said caucuses are representative alternative power bases and it's like this is something that's already happening within dsa when you see the slates Mm -hmm. like there are people who are running along like shared ideas and saying like we want to be voted in as a block. So it's already happening in an informal way in ideological circles. We just want like a more formal way for like the identity based ones, which I don't think is too out of line with, again, what's already going on. Like we have an informal Jewish caucus. We have the socialist feminist working group, and these are various identity based avenues that we're pursuing. And it hasn't, you know, really fractured, and it's been, like, I think a plus for getting more people involved who see those issues as being central to not only their class relations, but who they are as a person. So the power bases are already there, and this is a step towards formalizing yours, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's good. The way I specifically would like, the direction I'd like DSA to move is to continue being a Big Ten organization for the new left in America, but also I'd like for it to stay decentralized, at least for, you know, parts A through X of our journey towards taking over the government. (laughs) 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 Uh, And caucuses and consolidated groups that are willing to make them their opinions known without, you know, having to enter into a bureaucratic landfill are definitely the best way to go about that. I think it makes sense. Oh, yeah. One of the reasons that um, we want the caucus to be autonomous is that we didn't want this to be an extra responsibility of the NPC. NPC is already, you know, like, filled with all these responsibilities based with the challenges of the growing group and all that. Like, we wanted to just, like, free them of that 
added responsibility. NPC is National Party Committee? The National Political Committee, like the people who make like a lot of the main decisions on what happens in DSA. A lot of our listeners aren't in DSA, and I tried to explain what it's like being in the organization to David Spector, former guest of the show earlier, <laughs> and... Uh, there's there's so much going on. It is hard to uh, kind of explain. Like I've n- had no back and forth with the national uh, element of this at all. But well, I was just gonna say maybe Adolf should like go to a DSA meeting and then he would maybe see the need for the caucus. It's mm-hmm. like go to a Vampire Weekend concert <laughs> and then go to a DSA meeting, <laughs> and you will see that oh maybe this is necessary. The man is. 70 years old you can't make him go to a vampire weekend concert. i can do whatever i want it's unreasonable <laughs> put down the gun i'm telling you to now adolf um yeah his, i just want to be your friend opinion is you know his but what was david saying he was like what if i went what if i went and told them that sharks should have rights and i was like yeah you could do that we have all kinds of crazy people <laughs> just come in and start talking yeah you saw what like, happened in occupy <laughs> Well, the main the main story I always hear about um, uh, when me and my friends were all thinking about joining DSA and we were trying to find the group that was right for us is you can go to these left forums where people are just asking questions and there's no vetting process. And there's always one guy who's like, I'm with the Spartacist Rebellion and we have munitions and arms. Come with <laughs> us at HQ, not a cop, and join the revolution now. And then everyone's like... Oh, <laughs> stop quoting me on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we've had like um a lot of the bum people have told me about issues they have with the Spartacist caucus yeah. like coming up and they're exciting guys. <laughs> so do, does Jazz anyone ever join them <laughs> on air? I mean, somebody must. <laughs> well, like, you know, like they have that great newspaper business running. So, yeah, uh, print yeah. media is coming up. Just one guy's just like, do you have cigarettes? It's like, yes, <laughs> it's just joined. <laughs> It's very funny to me making fun of print media since my big thing last year was getting a gag newspaper going. <laughs> I made I put out like 5,000 copies. It was exhausting and uh, didn't really go anywhere. So uh, please join the Spartacist Rebellion, I guess is my point. What were we talking about? Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, black nationalism covered it. Nailed it. Great interview. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> uh, they were all, they were implying that um, the Afro Socialist Caucus charter uh, had unclear objectives. Um, talking to you, you sound like you know exactly what you know you'd like this to be. Um, how did you feel hearing that? Oh yeah, like the proposal that we drew up, it's not like the same as the founding document for the caucus. Okay, like the proposal is just like to formalize it to endorse the BYP agenda, to make the separate statements of endorsements for reparations and colonial reparations, which they also like were critical of. But I'm not sure like why that's a criticism that they levied given that DSA has already endorsed reparations, but that's another story. Sure. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like your proposal would be very different from the DSA broader platform. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't understand. And also like speaking to, as they called it, farming out, uh, another group's platform last year dsa endorsed the movement for black lives platform which isn't just a bunch of identitarian stuff like they talk about giving free education free health care community investment to black communities but the way that they when you go through the actual legislative measures that they outline 
it says all people because the only way to ensure that all black people get it is to ensure that these are rights for all Americans. And this is the kind of social democratic stuff that they were arguing that we need to be pursuing. So they said that the way, what, how do they phrase it? A racial democracy versus a social democracy. And the racial democracy in their view was what the black liberals do mm-hmm. where they want a more diverse ruling class. That's not what we're advocating for. We want the social democratic reforms that they do. And more than that, we want to and the system of capitalism that perpetuates racism. Yeah, I was at a uh, garage sale at a farm yesterday, <laughs> and my straw man alert was going off on the <laughs> radar I purchased there. On my straw man radar. Yeah, this proposal was, like, I feel like it was unfairly used to piggyback and criticize black liberals, which is a criticism that I'll join in any day, because I, I, I wouldn't be in DSA if I agreed with the black liberals. Uh, I had a great quote from Adolf about liberals, but it doesn't really pertain. It's not very urgent. No, oh, uh, let's hear it. Okay, let's, okay. So oh, uh, pull, pulled uh, from some text. Uh, okay, so sometime early in Ronald Reagan's first term, I decided to forget everything I'd always disliked about liberals. I took pains to subordinate what put me off about them to the larger objective of unity against the right-wing onslaught. I decided to overlook their capacity for high-minded fervor, for the emptiest and saffiest platitudes, their tendencies to make a fetish of procedure over substance, and to look for technical fixes to the political problems. Their ability to screen out the mounting carnage in the cities they inhabit as they seek pleasant venues for ingesting good coffee and scones, their propensity for aestheticizing other people's oppression, and calling that activism. Their reflex to wring their hands and look constipated in the face of conflict, and most of all, their spinelessness and undependability in crises. That was 30 years ago. Bars! Yes. <laughs> just nailed it. Yeah, that's beautiful. He's I love great. it. Yeah. Just, oh, emoji fire. Oh, boy. Oh, emoji man. flame. Whatever. We are disagreeing with him today. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <Fantastic>. like, <laughs> I appreciate that someone of, like, such high standing criticized my work. Yeah, that's yeah. Kinda like like you, I feel like famous now. Work. That's feel, how a lot of people come up, you know. Yeah, haters make me famous. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, I remember what I was going to go back on. Okay, so on, in the podcast they were they were um, criticizing the, the need for a caucus, and they were saying that it would be oh the the host idea. And I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. I know it's Adam, but I couldn't remember the last name. Uh, uh, Proctor, I think. Proctor. Uh, his idea was. Instead of a caucus, why don't we um, give seats to delegates from trade unions? Like we go to the nurses trade union and give them power in our organization that would show working class and uh, labor solidarity. And it's like, yeah, it's a great idea. Why don't we do both? I don't understand why you have to be for one and against another. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, I've seen some people who are involved with union after they heard that proposal. They said like the way that the unions would operate is that they would send like the least radical people to like sort of undermine our agenda. And like, so that's a possible, like, I still think that's something absolutely worth debating. Like, and I think that that's an excellent idea, but like it wouldn't necessarily like have the effect that they're saying, like in such broad terms. Sure. After that whole long, um, diatribe about how it was, um, cheap to subcontract black issues out to black lives matter. The next proposal was we should get the nurses union in here to dictate how we yeah. run things. <laughs> That's a very similar idea. Uh, yeah, and the other thing about this is like uh, 
two of the people who are involved in this proposal, uh, Bianca and Andrew, like they're in the, the labor working group of, of DSA. Bianca specifically, her job is a labor organizer. So like when we made this suggestion, it's not something that we're making independent of our organizing. We're making it because like this is the way that the young black and people of color left are organizing like the first oppression that a lot of us are going to notice like in addition like if it's not our class it's going to be like racial issues or something like xenophobia something like sexism and you're going to organize around that you just have to let dsa and like the left as a whole like be an outlet for well i don't want to say left as a whole because i want to include liberals in this but like <laughs> mm-hmm. socialism like you have to point them towards a class analysis to addressing those concerns so we don't see them as being in conflict we want them to synergize and go further together like i said again like in the byp platform does the movement for black lives uh platform that we already have endorsed all the social democratic stuff it'll say like we want free education for black people but by doing that we need to give it to everyone to say that you want it for black people as a socialist is to say that you want everyone to have it because that's the only way that you can ensure that it's going to be truly given to all black people and not just something that's passed off to the black elite. That's beautiful. Yeah. Take that, whites. Yeah. <laughs> Alex is uh, <laughs> Alex is shaking. Alex is chewing gum he doesn't have. <laughs> so you had some criticisms you want to respond to? Oh, yeah. One more point. I'd, well, a couple more points I'd like to respond to. Like, um, one of the other criticisms that they had was that this was not something that was coming out organically. They saw it as, like, a defensive move against the attacks we'd be getting from, like, liberals saying that, you know, the left is too white. And from, like, let's say the HOTEPs, the black nationalists, also saying, like, this is a white organization. It's not going to get you black freedom. And, like, this is, like, again, as I said, like, Bianca's a labor organizer. I'm a mobilizer with the Uptown branch. So, like, I go out and I talk to people and try to get them to come come to things. This is something that comes up when we're organizing. We see that, you know, the racial divisions, like, obviously class divisions are important. The racial divisions are something that you have to address in a meaningful way. And so much of, again, the young black and people of color left, like, they are already organizing along these identity lines. So you can have, like, the groups like, the people like DeRay McKesson, who represent, like, you know, that establishment liberal version of it, or you can have something like the socialist, the Black Lives Matter, the official Black Lives Matter, not what DRA is doing, but like the official Black Lives Matter network, BYP, who have a real class analysis and are asking to challenge capitalism to end this identity-based oppression. A story I'd like to tell like in relation to this and the how identity is still important. Like, I live in the Bronx, which... I don't know if you guys know this, was Hillary Clinton's best county in New York State last year in the primaries. I actually did not know that. I assumed it would be Manhattan. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I thought it would be like Manhattan or Brooklyn too, but like it was like a big shame for me because like the Bronx is one of the poorest congressional districts in the country. And Adolph Reed had this thing. He's like, you know, like when they criticize Bernie Sanders for not reaching out to black people, you say, well, you go run through his platform, universal health care, free education, higher minimum wage, uh, more union rights like of course that's all stuff that would benefit disproportionately black people people of color uh, people who are trans uh, sexual or minorities yeah, it's, like, it's catch all for justice absolutely yeah. if you were like a bird that person, alone 
<laughs> that alone did not translate Trenches. into <laughs> that alone did not translate into like a significant margin for him in a community like the Bronx that needs all that stuff. Like um, I went out and I did some knocking on doors and stuff for him before his campaign. And unfortunately, one of the neighborhoods I went to was like a Trump neighborhood in the Bronx somehow. But that's another. <laughs> that is amazing. That was a bad huh. experience. That's like a Neil Gaiman story or something. Yeah. That was a bad experience. But, like, also, like, there was a day where I was walking up Fordham Road and Kingswood Road, two of the main roads in the Bronx, and, like, there were these all these older black people and Latinx people stopping me, like, is that white man pin you'd be holding up that sign? And, like, you got to get with the program. It's all about Hillary. Like, um, you know, like, that white man's gonna, not going to do anything for us. And I did what, you know, Adolf Reed said, and I went through, like, Bernie Sanders' platform. Like, how would a higher minimum wage not benefit us? How would universal health care not benefit us? And they're like, yeah, but none of that's actually going to go through. Like, uh, that white man's not going to get anything done. And, like, I think that that was uh, something very important in the liberal attack on him that people wanted to dissipate our imagination of what's possible. The, the propaganda is set in before, you know, any caucuses are decided for yeah, sure. It's, yeah, it's so defeatist and sad. And going back to the point uh, Adolf made about uh, your proposal being uh, in- inorganic, which is strange to me because even if it was reactionary, I don't see a problem with that. If like if you're being accused of not being represented and DSA is being accused of being a white organization, but you have people of color in the organization, yeah, you should you should make an effort to, you know, uh, put forth representation and show that you're there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like... I don't think there's anything wrong with it. As long as it gets genuine, right? Yeah, like, it's like, a ge- again, like a genuine thing informed by our experiences and organizing and something that's going on with the left in general. Like, he, they talked about, you know, like, the Sanders campaign again. Like, the majority of young black people who are most likely to support something like Black Lives Matter voted for Bernie Sanders. It's just that, you know, in general, young people don't vote as much and people of low incomes don't vote as much. So that wasn't enough to translate to uh, an electoral victory. But again, like a place like the Bronx, when I voted for him, like mostly people were older and those older people did not, they all heard all the stuff that he said about Bernie's platform. It didn't translate into them wanting to vote for him over Hillary. And identity politics might have played a role in that as well as you know the attacks on him and what we imagine is possible but like it's still something you have to overcome this is something that's happening organically on the black left people of color you can give them the DeRay McKessons who are like you know we have to work with Hillary Clinton and stuff like that or we can have the Black Lives Matter who the official Black Lives Matter network BYP who are advocating for social democratic reforms that we would all benefit from on the basis of class relations why would you not work with them yeah young people really cornered the market on apathy despite what old people would like to tell you but uh but it's uh, changing now it's it's all over the place but historically that's what's happened i know i uh had a few friends who were trying to go knock on doors for bernie in neighborhoods like the bronx in addition to you know the Hillary bots getting there first or whatever. Uh, the number one thing you would hear is people not knowing who Bernie Sanders was. Yeah. Yeah, Wait. that was a big problem as well. Like, um, 
the media didn't take him seriously from the beginning and like that definitely affected his outcomes yeah and um a lot of the times you would well, this is my friend michael he was going and doing these things he would like explain what the program was and once people even heard this like simple messaging to begin with like higher minimum wage health care for all they're on board it's just that it's not taken seriously and it's not disseminated information all right so i'm on board for the caucus so far what can people do to help make this happen if you're a delegate we'd like you to vote for it at the convention that's the best thing you can do and if you're not a delegate at the convention reach out to your delegates and tell them that you're interested in it and you think that this is something that would benefit dsa as a whole mm -hmm. call your senators uh, <laughs> call me i'm or very Roger. lonely <laughs> he, he's in a new city he needs a friend so many all right well that was what i wanted to cover on the topic uh jazz thanks for coming on yeah it was thanks great. for having me and uh if you want you can stick around while we're gonna riff on the news or whatever <laughs> uh let's go to tape And we're back. We're back. We're back with the T-Man. In the octagon. TV's David Twidey. David. Uh, David Lister credits. Hello. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, clubs and colleges across the country. Woo! Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 one of the original kings of comedy. David was the last comic standing uh, over my wife. <laughs> he peed on my what? wife. What? <laughs> <laughs> what this is already so off the rails <laughs> i'm not hosting him this and part. steve harvey <laughs> this is gonna be great coming off of that other interview <laughs> david what's cedric like yeah totally this is uh quite the shift oh my god there's a we apologize to our listeners a, there is a comic in uh in dc this guy I, i'm not gonna name names but this dude like wore like a suit vest on stage all the time and dave chappelle and someone <laughs> yeah it was dave chappelle <gasps> uh, and someone sent him an email that was like about a fake comedy festival it's like you've been selected for the first uh, annual comedy festival it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's oh the best comics with God. the best vests <laughs> Lead best performers, so best got, of the fest. Steve Harvey. We got. I can't remember who else was on it, but Steve Harvey. Just <laughs> Godfrey is that. headlining. So <laughs> want to get something off your vest? Oh, geez. What a lucky guy. Mm. Oh man. Well, that's cool. Very cool. Uh, festivals are a lot of fun. Last year, uh, my friend uh, said, uh, like, made a Facebook post without my knowledge. This was not my idea. But he made a Facebook post that was like, "In Washington D.C., we're going to have, we're going to have a, a funnier die is putting on a festival with headliners Mark Marin, uh, Dave Chappelle, like long list of just, uh, <laughs> just top people." And he's like, "Send your send your submissions to David at gmail.com. Oh. And I got like a dozen of them before I even saw his post. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I figured out what was happening. And I was like, all right, I'll roll with this for a bit. And then I started reading them. And I was like, you have to take the post down. This is too sad. Oh, no. What? Can you give us a sample? Listeners. Oh, I still have a bunch of them. But uh, one person <laughs> if, if one you... person sent me four headshots. Oh, oh no. <sighs> all it takes is one when I'm at the wheel. 
Yeah. They're like, oh, this guy's a stud. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's why you wear new faces. Yeah, this year. I was going for like a, like a Halo style headshot. <laughs> what does that mean? What do you mean? What does that mean? It's when you shoot someone in the head in a video game. Oh. Do you remember the memes from the mid 2000s? You mid-2000s? were making a pun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. a big meme guy in the mid 2000s. Oh, you weren't there for the rampant racism? <laughs> I was in a coma. You really missed out. <laughs> I don't know. What was I doing on the internet in 2000? I was doing racism in real life. I was finding an anime girlfriend. <laughs> Still looking, ladies. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> uh, well, guys, we have a lot of news to cover. That's uh, true. Uh, David, how have you been processing this week? Has it been a good week, a bad week? Do you love it? Do you I, hate it? I mean, are you I, flustered? Overall, I think it's been a net positive, right? On like, a scale of laughs to gaffs. My, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I don't... Wait. Uh, there have been laughs and gaffs, so... I this don't is unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> there have been gaffs. There right been in the laughs, middle. <laughs> uh, like, there have been gaffs, and then I've laughed at those gaffs. Oh, okay, yes, those, yes. Those gaffs cause But now, less gaffs, because our boy Mooch is out. Oh, man. Mm. As of yesterday. Take him from us too soon. We gotta start, we gotta start from the top. So, this week, there's this new man on the scene. His name, The Mooch. <laughs> yep. That's that's how he introduced himself. Waluigi Scaramucci. (laughs) 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 My favorite thing about him is he couldn't stop bragging about his Ivy League credentials while not embodying anything about Ivy League. Yeah, I didn't even know they were letting Italians in at this point. (laughs) They aren't. After this, they aren't. Uh, Yeah, this was the last one. (laughs) They're like, oh, look what he's done to us. (laughs) It was Uh, him and then Rocky Balboa before they found out he was not real. (laughs) (laughs) Who is this mooch? The former White House communications director. Right, but okay, so it's important to understand Sean Spicer got, was he fired or was he? No, he. Did he also he, try he to he suck his own sign? Okay. Yeah. They hired the mooch, right? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't want anything to do with them. Uh-huh. And, this guy is too mooch. And Priebus was like, mm-hmm. no thanks too, but he was fired. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then mooch was like, yeah, it's mooch town, baby. Yeah. And like, here we are. <laughs> So okay. everybody knows him from that that new, uh, is it New Yorker piece? Well, the he the called Ryan the New Lizza Yorker piece. piece. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. so what? Lizza, my least favorite member of the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> so he he was a he's a hedge Gashes fund guy. Swords. I'm I'm not clear on this. Was he like known? Before this happened, like the, I mean, he he was working. He w- was hired by Trump in November, uh-huh. but then mm. then Reince was like, "No, no to this guy," <laughs> that, you know, in those those very yeah. Reince words. Yeah. And, that was a uh, great impression. And uh, <laughs> but no, I don't think he was like a prominent figure. Of uh, I, I maybe if you were like really inside uh, hedge fund culture, well, which oh, I yeah. know all of us are. But we don't want to alienate our listeners. Some more than others. Uh, but yeah, like I said, my favorite thing about him is how he was so obsessed with his Ivy League credentials, but also was uh, totally opposed to that culture. And um, someone wrote a piece uh, for the Washington Monthly uh, recently. It's like uh, titled "I Went to Harvard Law with Anthony Scaramucci." Here's what he was like, which sounds just like a mm. quick article. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just like a cartoon. <laughs> and uh, all right. So uh, he was a big personality, blah, blah, blah. In the second year, we had a tax professor who intimidated a lot of people, but not Scaramucci. Uh, when the professor asked him a tough question, Scaramucci said, well, I'd be glad to answer. But first, could you tell me where you got that great haircut? Boom. Zinger. The class burst into laughter, and people swarmed Scaramucci afterward to congratulate him for taking the professor down a peg. (laughs) Nice. Sick burn. (laughs) Roasted. He's up on that pedestal teaching the class. Somebody's got to go get him. Yeah, I'll answer your question, but first, nice shirt, you doofus. (laughs) (laughs) For too long, these Harvard law professors have ruled Uh. over these poor impoverished harvard (laughs) students (laughs) the lowest of the low (laughs) yeah yeah who have just gone on to have these meager jobs in finance (laughs) yeah people need to stop making these ivy league kids feel small you know (laughs) yeah it's pretty much a man of the people when you think about it it's like the exact same as the oliver twist story but everyone is sailing (laughs) 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 but anyway the mooch is a hero can i have some more yachts (laughs) (laughs) More yachts? <laughs> you want more? Uh-huh. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so now Mooch is out. Uh, he just got canned, right? Did they say yeah. why? Uh, b- well, because per uh, <laughs> uh, what's her name? Huckabee Sanders, uh, old Huck Sandy, uh, uh, Sandy Huck, uh, <laughs> the Sandy the Huck, Sandy Huck truther. It took yeah. me a while to get there, but I think that's the, that's what I'm going. This with This is now the on. Sandy Huck Sarah massacre. Sarah Sandy Huck. Uh, <laughs> but uh, according to her, uh, Donald Trump felt that his remarks in the Ryan Lizza piece were inappropriate. Oh, okay. So because he said fuck and stuff. But everyone in the White House right now is doing that. So it just seems weird to can him over it. That's what I think is so like, that's what's so awesome about, uh, about the rise and fall of the mooch is like, this is the caliber of guys that they're left with at this point. They've already (laughs) gotten this far to the bottom of the barrel. Like haircut assassins. (laughs) I mean, if Jeff, if Jeff Sessions, uh, ends up resigning, like Trump is trying to bully his attorney general into leaving, and if he does, they're just going to replace him with, like, a fucking Goldman Sachs defense attorney or something. Like, but it's not it's not going to be anyone who's remotely qualified. Like, if you thought the initial cabinet was bad, wait until they have to start going to the second strings. <laughs> the second strings, strings yeah. yeah. Or just, like, a racist dog that quotes Ted Nugent. I don't understand who's taking, who's going to take these jobs and why they want to take these jobs. Like, I imagine these that... These seem like terrible jobs, too. They, they seem awful. Like, I imagine Scaramucci is going to get some, like, shitty uh book deal out of this and um and maybe like a spot on dancing with oh the stars probably i want that audio book i want the audio book recorded by the mooch <laughs> i so but everyone is saying that the real reason is because uh this new guy kelly came in and he wasn't having this shit tell he, us uh, about is he him. a no-nonsense kind of guy i don't know i don't really know anything about him he's a general uh he was the secretary of Homeland Security, I believe. He was, uh, and they've gener- never done anything bad. Um, but so that's what people what? think. It was his first day that uh, that Mooch got fired. 
The the icing on the mooch cake is that not only did he accept this job and lose it within uh, less than two weeks, but uh, in that time he was divorced and missed the birth of his child (laughs) for the job. Really laying it all on line. It's the most relatable. And he texted his wife, congrats. (laughs) (laughs) Congrats on giving birth. Yeah, he's just like a frat boy rapper. Oh, I wish. Well, the the divorce thing is amazing because you know that this was an argument they had like six months ago. Because I guess he was was expecting to be part of the administration on day one. Mm Mm-hmm. So you know this was an argument that they'd had before where she's like, if you work for this asshole, I'm leaving you. Uh-huh. And then he just did it anyway. What just, well, you what, was what kind of person is this person's wife I to begin with? <laughs> but I think the um, the sad thing, well, maybe it's not that sad, but uh, it, this has completely consumed uh, me and uh, <laughs> my media consumption. And it's of really just little consequence to uh, our lives, I think. <laughs> Uh, because there are actual, just, there's real things going on. Right. There's a health care bill uh, that didn't get passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every time I was oh. reading about this, I was like, I miss my friend. This has consumed my friend. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and uh, and it's all because of brave Republicans mm-hmm. like Johnny McCain. And uh, don't forget those two ladies, Susan Collins and uh, Lisa Murkowski, Yaz Queen. Slay Queen. Yaws is a uh, birth control. <laughs> is it? Yeah, or it was, and then it got removed from uh, the market for being. I don't remember specifically what it did to women, but it like it gave you cancer or something really bad. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Rad. I'm a wealth of obscure and uh, strange information. <laughs> <laughs> that could be that could be a fun game. Just like what what kind of product was this? Because I would have gone if you said Yaz, I would think like maybe a soda from the set from the 80s mm-hmm. or something like that. They pronounce it Yaz, but I think the modern pronunciation would be Yaz. Yeah, maybe like candy. Uh, but uh, I think uh, the healthcare bill was probably the biggest thing. In American politics this week, right? Yeah, it was, it was definitely also the most poorly designed legislation in recent memory. Well, because they tried to, like, last night before the essays do write it. Yeah. Well, even before that, it was kind of a mess, too. Uh, and wasn't really going to bet, was really just disguised as a tax cut. I like that I'm on this podcast just being like, yeah, they rushed it, but they had a lot of good ideas in there. <laughs> <laughs> I like the one where you could harvest the organs from the homeless and uh, send them to your uh, relatives as a gift. I, I love that. Wait, are we idea. not currently allowed to do that? Oh, no, well, you can David do David has it, just left the room <laughs> suddenly. I need to send an email to my uncle. <laughs> uh, hey, if you open those packages yet, I'm going to need them back. <laughs> David was out of the is in the bathroom washing his hands of this podcast. Dave, on a scale of one to two, how much of a hero is John McCain? But what is it? One not being much of a hero. From laughs to gaffs. Okay, I'm gonna go laughs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I don't. So, the McCain thing is, I mean, like fuck that guy, like a thousand percent. I mean, he, I guess he did the right thing in this specific case. I did think it was a little gross. All the people going. Like, oh, fuck him, he should die. But I also don't care that much. I mean, I don't... 
I don't like wish death upon people because I I flatter myself that I'm not that type of person. Mm. But uh, like he is, he has gone along with every fucked up thing over the past several he's years. He's on like yeah. a killing rampage in office. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> literally kind of only thing. did this after he was told he would get an appropriations bill through, which didn't get through, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good for him. Uh, I yeah, I th- I think the it was a polarizing argument because uh, you're either lionizing him or you were rooting for, for his a brain tumor. cancer. Yeah, which is like, I don't give a shit. He has cancer. I don't want him to die. Yeah. Uh, I don't really care if he does. But also these fucking myopic weirdos who are acting like he just engaged in some like active uh, valor. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he voted no on a bill that just last week everyone, all these liberals were calling a murder bill. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. But uh, I think uh, what I said on is I can appreciate his votes, but I'm not going to celebrate Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, like, in this case, I think he did the right thing. I mean, we're still in a pretty fucked up spot, and he is. And he still wants to repeal to Obamacare. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. He, like, he's been. He's been complicit in every fucked up thing the Republican Party has been doing for years, and so whatever. He's never found a war he didn't like. Wasn't his problem with the bill that didn't go far enough? I I read that, but I didn't really go that far into it. I, mm-hmm. was, I um, guess um, I guess what I'd argue is the Viet Cong had some great points. All right, and that wraps up our John McCain segment. Shout out to the Viet Cong <laughs> listeners. <laughs> We love you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, donate. I tried uh, to make a Ho Chi Minh pun, but they weren't. Good <laughs> enough. Uh, <laughs> David, any anything else you want to talk about? Mm, no, I think we covered this beyond the Ho Chi Minimum. Oh, Thank no. you, David. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, a, like, I'm, uh, I, I'm glad that, uh, that they failed. You know, it's just real. It's real gratifying watching these people trip over their dicks. Well, the question is like, what are we celebrating that the Republicans failed to harvest everyone's organs again? Like, this seems like a such a non-accomplishment. Their defeat isn't like a liberal victory, right? And they're still in control of all of the levers of power. So this will just happen every week. I can't be excited about it every time. Right. <laughs> And, and, like, all the, the people going, like, ah, oh, John McCain, a man of conscience and character. And it just, like, I cannot wait for, like, two years from now when all, like, the West Wing, ty- like, liberals are going, like, listen, we need to appeal to Kid Rock's sense of decency. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a, he's a reasonable man. We can agree to disagree. <laughs> To quote, devil without a cause. <laughs> Again. He had some we, great points on the 2003 Warp Tour. Listen, I have... <laughs> and the 2004 Warp Tour. <laughs> also, there is the transgender ban. Right. Uh, for the military. Uh, which seemed to come out of nowhere. Was it, wasn't it just like Trump tweeted randomly like, 
transgenders have gone far enough and then yeah. this happened like yeah yeah it was like at 6 a.m the morning and the best part about it is he's there was a three-part tweet and the first part there was a gap between the first and second tweet for nine minutes and in those nine minutes there was a group of generals who were anticipating that Trump was about to declare war on North Korea, right. <laughs> which means that is very within the realm of possibility. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we can't do it yet because the transgenders are weakening our like, military. Yeah. Someone, <laughs> someone really needs to convince him that, like, they need to just give him a toy phone and convince him that it's actually That's a real phone. to Twitter. Like, yeah, like, they need to, uh, listen, hey, there's a new system... That all public figures have to uh, have to uh, tweet through. It's they have to write it down <laughs> on a piece of paper and put it in this box, <laughs> and then it'll go out to the American people. They gave him a special phone that's just a landline. They're <laughs> like, you have to tweet from this now. It's the president phone. <laughs> <laughs> there are mega. F- there are speakers installed everywhere, and they hear you all the time. He would do it as long as it was called like the MAGA machine or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Magatronic. Uh, all right. Well, so so wait. Did the the transgender ban didn't even really happen though? Did well, it? yeah, because the basically the the generals were like, if you okay, uh, cool, just like send us the directive, you know, through the channels that we do this stuff. And as far <laughs> as I know, he has not done that. Is that on uh, MySpace? <laughs> I don't understand. Well, the complaint was that they're costing the military too much with their expensive medical procedures. Right. When actually vetting and firing all these trans operatives would take more money than it would be to just give them basic health care. Well, and then uh, fucking Joy Reid in rare form. Uh, did you see her tweets about uh, about Chelsea Manning? Oh, yeah, we were just talking about that. Uh, she's not a fan of Manning. Yeah, she's like, I'm no fan of what Manning did, but don't you think if she felt accepted in the in the armed forces, she ah! would be less likely to act out like this? Jesus oh, Christ. Like, she's like a fucking Nuclear feral teenager Yeah, she's just like a fe- trans people are a feral animal. Like, she yeah. dyed her hair green. Like <laughs> She wouldn't care about those people mowed down by those helicopters if she simply felt like she could... If uh, she was part of the team, If she you could know? do a after hours club with the military yeah um and uh from so although before we get into that that's just such a signifier of the big media mistake you see all week long which is uh liberals with their hearts in the right place being like yeah, we need transgenders to get in there and serve in these armed forces because these colors don't run. It's it, like, this oh, is the drum you're beating. It drives me so <laughs> fucking crazy when I see, like, anytime that I see the Democrats, like, think that they have an opportunity to outflank Republicans on jingoism and militarism. They take it every time. Every single time. And it's like, first of all, this is gross. This is fucking disgusting. Uh, this is like one of the worst things about this country is this constant uh, jizzing over Lust the military. Lust for war. Yeah. <laughs> and second of all, you're never going to win. Like, you're never going to win this fight. <laughs> they really like the military more than you. You can tell by the uh, jacket they have that is a flag. You're not going to win. Yeah. You have too many blogs to write or whatever. <laughs> Liberals love to feel alpha. 
Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> but they say it just like that. They're like, I love to feel alpha. <laughs> uh, so Chelsea Manning, uh, in response, uh, wrote a great opinion piece for uh, uh, the New York Times. A little our, rag called the New York yeah, Times. Yeah, our favorite paper, paper of record. Uh, so I'll pull, I pulled up. New York uh, Times, come on the show. Passage, please. F- retire, New York Times. All right, so Chelsea Manning. Uh, money is the excuse today. It was supposed to be expensive to provide trans people with adequate health care. The reality is that the costs are negligible. Military spending wastes billions of dollars on projects that are canceled or don't work every day. Medicine was the old excuse. The old military regulations were laced with medical terms to justify discrimination. They psychopathologized us, trans people, as having manifestations or paraphilias and psychosexual conditions, transsexual, gender identity disorder to include major abnormalities or defects of the genitalia, such as change of sex or a current attempt to change sex. That would, quote, render an individual administratively unfit to serve. Uh, Yeah, so look that up. It's great. Chelsea Manning just taking the internet by storm. Could you? How would you do on the modern internet if you had been tortured for like five years? I'm barely handling it now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is crazy that she like. It is. It is a lot of fun to watch people try to bait her on Twitter. Because uh, is, I mean, people try to bait her. Like people will, you know. I guess I haven't. I haven't I don't looked know. at her replies. I don't want to blow that's, your mind, but there's some hateful people. Yeah, on that's Twitter. that's that's one thing I've done well is not looking at Chelsea Manning's replies. This is uh, this was a pretty minor story last week, but I do want to talk about it because I have kind of a personal connection to it. Uh, Donald Trump's speech at the Boy Scout National Jamboree. Here we go. Hot fire. Oh my God. Uh, so like, if you didn't see it. Trump gave a speech at the Boy Scout National Jamboree. It was crazy. Uh, he went on some weird tangent. He about, talked about. He talked about ratings. He t- well, he talked. He, to, yeah, he talked to it, and he's like, if you looked at my electoral map, it was very red. And he told this weird story about like a hedge fund guy he knew or something. Yeah, who, like had fuck <laughs> parties on his guy. boat. <laughs> he had, uh, he had fuck parties on his guy. boat, and he told that to a legion I, of children. I have. I can't for the life of me figure out what point he was trying to make with that story. But I just want to, because everyone the following, like the following day, everyone was like, oh, I can't believe he would talk like this to Boy Scouts. And it's like, That's- well, all right, one, I can. Have you been watching this guy? <laughs> Two, I went to the Boy Scout Jamboree when I was in the eighth grade. Okay, yes. I was thinking... I was. It was 2001. I had to look it up. I thought it must have been post 9/11 because of how much weird jingoism there was. <laughs> but no, that's just what the Boy Scouts are like. Uh, but it's pretty much a vetting organization for the army. That's what it's there to exist for. It's it's a yeah. You have badges and you you build things. They make you remember. Very conservative organization. Like yeah. all the all the entertainment was like the. I mean, we heard the song proud to be an american by lee greenwood like at least once a day uh you watched apocalypse well, now uh, every week uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, i think that's a little too pink for their taste <laughs> but uh but like all the all the musical acts were like were like country bands and stuff like that it's like it's very no, it's, no. A, it's a very red organization red state organization but like also I was a 13-year-old boy. We talked about jerking off the whole time we That's were there. That's why we were there. <laughs> yeah, like I mean I was talking to I was talking to a friend of mine about this. Uh 
who had a similar experience. He told me that one kid in his troop got caught jerking off to a trading card of Psylocke from the X-Men. Yeah, yeah, dude. And everyone made fun of him, but deep down they were like, fuck, we underpacked for this. <laughs> but it's like, it's so it's a little hard for me to get all up in arms. Like, how dare Donald Trump, uh, like corrupt the sacred gathering where I accidentally came on a wolf spider in a public latrine, <laughs> you know, like it, it was just, I mean, people watch the video and they're like, Oh, this is chilling. It's like the Trump youth. And it's like, no, it's just teen boys and teen boys are fucking monsters. It doesn't matter if you dress them in matching neckerchiefs and send them to the woods. Not only is it wrong, but it was incorrect that the rallying cry in response to the weird fascist slash sex party speech to the Boy Scouts was, when you've done this to the Boy Scouts, you've gone too far. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, we spend all our time hanging out with the Boy Scouts? Like, this is our cherished organization? Yeah, the organization that banned gay people <laughs> until, also, like, two weeks ago. Get knives also, in the hands of kids. plenty of their own, like, sex abuse scandals, too. Like, they've always get, they always get upstaged by the Catholic Church, but, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? It's, like, fucking weird your dad's out with a bunch of kids in the woods. Well, don't did you let them get in any, the woods. Did you yeah. get any weird speeches growing up in the Boy Scouts? I don't really remember that much. I when I I decided I wanted to quit when I was in the ninth grade, and uh, I was a I was a Star Scout, which is like two ranks from Eagle. It's oh, like damn. Star then Life then Eagle. And uh, I told my dad I wanted to quit, and he's like, "Well, you almost have your life rank. Just get that, and I'll let you quit." And so I got like the last couple merit badges. And before you advance in rank in the Boy Scouts, you have to go, uh, t you have to do a board of review, which is where you just sit in a room with <gasps> a bunch of your friends' dads. And they're like, so what are you going to do with it? Yeah, it's bullshit. But you could like, work yeah. on your calves. Like, What's your plan? It's like a parole here. Life Scout. Yeah. <laughs> it was super weird. But I was like, well, I'm just, I just got it so that I could quit. And they're like, what? All right. Well, I don't think you're doing it for the right reasons so there's, no there's one guy who's just like david you can't <laughs> <laughs> we need you <laughs> but so afterwards like my dad picked me up and uh he's like so how'd it go and i'm like oh they didn't give it to me because i told him i just wanted to get it so i could quit and he's like those guys are stupid <laughs> I oh that's was, great i yeah. thought it was weird he wanted you to rank up first yeah i don't know he's just like i think he's just like ah yeah you never finish anything just get this one thing and then I guess that's kind of fatherly. I was in the Cub Scouts through, like, sixth grade when it becomes Boy Scouts, and the second we had to memorize an oath, I was like, this has a different feel to it. It's less about the hide-and-seek games now. Uh, but the weird, the weirdest thing... I still thing remember so much of that shit. A scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. That's right. off the top of the And dome. this is I why don't... you're our most precious guest, because of the knowledge <laughs> you have from scouts. up boy, yeah. <laughs> That's that's the uh, organization we're going to war uh, for right now. Yeah. Boy Scouts. Join the Boy Scouts, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could have. Well, what a week. What an episode. Uh, was there anything else we wanted to cover? The Ben... David is a uh, Ben Garrison head, the oh, political yeah. cartoonist, and he wanted to oh, walk us through some of these. So Ben Garrison's a very subversive cartoonist uh, who's always taking power and like showing it a mirror, like showing it like what it looks like. Yeah, he's really standing up for what's right in a world where, uh, listen, as 
Hannah Arendt said, in a world where criminality is the law, mm-hmm. doing the right thing is a criminal act. Is a criminal act. Um, okay, so with that said, why don't you walk us through some of these? Okay, well, I just he's had some recent stuff that has just been, I feel like, a level of batshit uh, beyond his usual curve, even. But if you haven't seen this guy, he's great. Look him up on Twitter. Uh, it's like at... Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember what the at thing is, but it's Ben Garrison. One word is yeah, it's ben two Garrison, R's and Garrison. Ben Garrison comics. It's um, that kind of creative mind that makes these wonderful portraits. Yeah, but he's a he's a cartoonist, which you know I'm glad that that uh, art form isn't going anywhere in 2017. The political cartoon, but he is just. He is a perfect example of like a an Alex Jones right wing type who will just not let anything go. Like he he uh, he's really supportive of all like the alt light guys. He really likes Cernovich and uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Stefan Molyneux. Oh yeah, like those guys are retweeting him all the time. I think I originally found out about him through uh, Cernovich retweeting him. Uh, Paul Joseph Watson. He's also a big fan of him. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they still have to solve Benghazi, so yeah. So that's like, they haven't solved it. No, no. That's, uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more questions. <laughs> there's uh, Hillary Clinton is his favorite target. Uh, it's sometimes very difficult to tell uh, what he's trying to say. He does not like her. Like though. all great artists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so well, walk us through this one. So, so this well, Chelsea Clinton one. Yeah. This one. I mean, this is just. Uh, the most unflattering uh, portrayal of Chelsea Clinton possible. Uh, he put uh, a, a grotesque depiction of her head on a dog's body. On a poodle. And uh, mm-hmm. they're in the presidential grooming parlor, and she's got like a water dish that's filled with money. Yeah, when so, she goes to drink water, she drinks money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How's that yeah. sound? Uh, Good. How's, how, how's that going through your veins, America? Refreshing. But so it's, I mean, it's, just his style is really interesting to me because he depicts all of his like all of his uh political enemies i guess he depicts as being uh the most gross looking version of themselves possible whereas his trump is buff as shit right if you find any of the cartoons that have trump in it he's like muscular he doesn't look at all like a septuagenarian who hasn't exercised in 50 years mm-hmm. he's like doing manual labor and stuff if you actually need any uh hard copy cutouts of the bu- buff trump cartoon image i actually have several that I take on uh, my Boy Scout trips with me to the woods. Uh, very, so you can send me for those. Let's do another one. Mad Magazine to me. Yeah, yeah. 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 It yeah, def- yeah. It definitely has that feel to it. Um, so this one's a, subversive. Yeah, this is another recent one. This is a uh, this is H.R. Uh, McMaster and uh, David Petraeus, and they're, they're marionettes, and they are being held by uh, – they're being held – by the puppet master George Soros, who is himself also a marionette, right? And then he is being puppet mastered by a giant hand labeled the Rothschilds, which that's a deep cut. I mean, you gotta do your research for that one. And and uh, the, the could go with the Koch brothers or anything. 
No, well, they well, he, he's he probably likes them. He's pro Coke brothers, but you have to look at like the way they're dancing. They're dancing on these strings. George Soros is doing a uh, Mission Impossible style belly flop <laughs> from the Rothschilds' <laughs> hands, and then the generals. Not only are they being puppeted, but they're not like scary looking puppets. They're like doing a happy dance. Uh, who are so? They're just like a couple billionaires that the the people on the right really hate, right? Because uh, so it's always Soros. Um, the Rothschilds is just a stand-in for international Jewry, right? right. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. Triple parenthesis Rothschilds and their puppets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know he really does puppets too, and it's like his big hobby. And he always goes to the meetings like the Jews fucking run these every year, <laughs> and I cannot break in with my That's god-loving the puppetry. Why he never makes it into the Aspen Puppetry Festival. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like this is. I it's occurring to me that this is terrible for the podcast. But like, if you just look up this guy's shit, it's amazing because it's like he he is so mad about everything. He doesn't have any one issue. It's Benghazi. It's chemtrails. He's a he's a chemtrails believer. Right. Uh, it's every Alex Jones thing, every mm-hmm. Trump thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He has just been folding this into his worldview for a while now. Please stay tuned for our episode on chemtrails because we will have him on for that. I think we're ready to, we're ready to close it up. You all got any plugs or something? Uh, no plugs. Follow me on ACLU official. Thanks so much. David. Uh, I'm at Twite Privilege on Twitter, and you can, if you live in Brooklyn, I have a weekly show on Sunday nights at, uh, the Dromedary Bar. It's a tiki bar in Bushwick, and that's every Sunday at 9 p.m. Come say hi. Uh, tell me you heard me here. And I'll be surprised. You'll get in free. That's true. Um, yo, tiki bars rule, and I just wanted to say that for the record on a podcast, in case anyone doubted my stance on this. Uh, what do I got coming up? Listen to this podcast. Listen to my other podcast, Ballin' Out Super. Follow me on Twitter at Patak Jokes, and uh, we're gonna have a date for the next paid protest very soon. So look out for that. Anders, if you're listening, hey, keep them. Keep them away from you, buddy. You know, keep the ladies away from you. <laughs> You're <laughs> we, very preoccupied with this narrative. <laughs> remember, we love you. I've, uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm very impressed. I'm still impressed. It's been months. All right. You're, uh, you're a good boy, and I like you, Anders. Raghav, do you have anything to say to Anders? Way to go. All right. Little kisses for little daddy. All right. That's another week here. Tune back in. It's the left dress.